Welcome everybody to the PFF College Football Podcast. I'm your host PFF Seth, and uh, it's bowl season. It's semifinal season. It's playoff season. Unfortunately, um, Christmas is canceled because the Hawaii Bowl is canceled. Um, can't really have a real Christmas if there is no Hawaii Bowl. Now that's my take. Um, but we didn't talk about bowls uh, on this episode. We talk about prospects because I had on two of um, my favorite two, like you know, prospect analysis guys, scout guys on the program this week. That would be Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak, host co-host of the uh, Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Plus, they uh, both are writers for the um, the Draft Network. So I had those two guys on. We talked about a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I revealed how much of an idiot I am when it came to when it comes to quarterback evaluations, and we talked about that stuff. You know, some receiver stuff too. How how to like separate um, the quarterbacks from their offense, and we realized you can't do it. It's like really hard, and just stuff like that. So I think it's a it's it's a fun episode. At the end, we talk about the you know um, those two guys talked about their favorite matchups for the semifinals. So Notre Dame. Uh, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and got their thoughts on on those two games. But overall, just like an interesting discussion about how to evaluate people, obviously center on the quarterback, um, the quarterback position, uh, how to evaluate, um, how do we evaluate the, the, the people who opted out and all that stuff. Um, so I'm excited for you to listen to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PFF College Football Podcast. I am joined uh for the first time ever by my two best friends in the whole world uh um, wow. they don't they don't know that we're best friends but i'm pretty sure we are um trevor sikama benjamin solak from the draft network and the co-host of the locked on nfl draft podcast nailed it boys welcome to the podcast Seth, it Seth? is so good to be joined by my two best friends in the world. It really is. Don't put me in this spot. Y'all don't want to hear You're this. Right. You're right. Seth is just my best friend. I just happen to work with Ben. Right. My uh, 21st and 38th best friends, Seth and Trevor. doesn't matter which <laughs> Wow, you've got the ranking off the top of your head. Yeah. Nah, it's good. What's up, well, Seth? It's on his wall. It's in front of him on his wall, the ranking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a right. big yeah, list. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then I move the names up and down. It's a big board. Don't worry about you it. You know, I'm, I'm not a big it. fan of linear rankings. I'm more of a tiers yeah, a tier guy. guy. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just unfair to, you know. We're, we're, we must be in like tier three or four at least. Yeah, yeah, no, I've got well, it broken down, right? Yeah, media members, actual real life friends, people I mostly <laughs> talk to on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> my whole life is just people I talk people to, I talk on, to the internet, on the internet. So. Nowadays, it is right. <laughs> yeah, there's really no difference. Uh, all right, what do you guys want to talk about? Can you guys just do your podcast and then I'll record it and then pretend mm-hmm. it's mine? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Welcome inside. <laughs> no, <it's> just- <laughs> <laughs> I could have had Ben intro right there. Can we? All right, all right can we start this off? by talking about the college football playoff and how if they would have just expanded the rankings to eight just this year, like it's a weird year, just do it once this year, we would have had awesome matchups. Cincinnati would have been playing Alabama, which it's not Notre Dame playing Alabama, so it's objectively automatically better. Florida would have been playing Clemson, which could have been extremely fun because Florida's defense is terrible, but they could score a lot of points. Oklahoma would have been playing Ohio state, which Oklahoma might genuinely score more points in Ohio state. And then Notre Dame would have been playing Texas A&M. Like that's, we are robbed of that. Did we not? Is this still a bit or are we starting the podcast now? No, I'm, just, I'm actually, <laughs> I was wondering, I, actually, I realized, I don't know. Like Seth, are you pro let's do more cultural playoff teams or no? 
Yeah, I'm 100% pro. I would, yeah. I maybe even 16, but 16 seems like you'd have to like the, like end the probably the bowl system, I guess. Maybe start yeah. the season earlier. I'm not really sure how that would work like logistically. So definitely, I'm an eight team. Even even right now, I would be a six team with two buys. Sure. You know what I mean? Like this is something because my, my whole thing with college football right now is like we just don't get enough uh, games between two good teams. So like, let's fair. just mm-hmm. add another round before because and, and I know like people always say like, you know, we haven't had great, especially like um, uh, tight matchups every year in the semifinals. Obviously, you think about last year, LSU beating Oklahoma by like 50 points and all that stuff. But at the same time, we don't have that stuff in March Madness, you know, in, in, in March anyways, in the basketball tournament, and we still tune, tune in and still love it because we're waiting for that one time that, you know, Cincinnati right. would beat Alabama this year and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I think you, you would probably end up with just a lot better matchups and then it's just more good college football. Like I don't, I don't really want to watch some of the college football games on there's like 10, 10 games in a, in a sport with mm. 130 teams. There's like mm. 10 games between two good teams on a weekly basis. So like, yeah, I'm all for it. Let's go. Right. And like, I, I think about the Miami North Carolina game this year where it's like, all right, these are two ranked teams. They're both good for whatever reasons. Let's see what happens. And the North Carolina was like, we're going to run the football all Boy. game long. Right. And it was just devastation for four quarters. That was objectively fun to watch and also not competitive and you don't need it to be competitive to be fun the clemson we're gonna sit on notre dame for four quarters 30 to 3 semifinal was not fun to watch right that was just like oh they're gonna get murdered oh they're getting murdered is there anything else to do with my evening like it's there's not like you know so i i agree i think that college football like even though the parody is is obviously like way different than the nfl all right, NFL play. Probably Alabama and Clemson are going to win. Even though that's the, the case, college football is known for its zaniness. You got to create those opportunities, like those exposures for weird stuff to happen. And then when it does, it the exists in lore forever, right? Slippery rock scores are still announced at Michigan games. Like that's what's fun about this sport. I think some years, and I get why they don't want to expand it. Well, one, they just like think it's an elitist tournament if they don't expand it, which is a dumb reason to not expand it. But they also, I would get, the whole argument of, Hey, Alabama is clearly the number one team in the country. You don't want to them to play an extra game just because, and potentially like get a really good player hurt or like get them beat up or get them tired. Cause you would rather have them play their best when they can in the national championship against the two best teams. But this year is one of those years. And I think there's been a couple of years since they did this, where if they would have expanded it, it would have actually been fun. Like it would have yielded way better matchups because Ben and I were talking about this on our podcast we don't really care about alabama this is your podcast that's that's true (laughs) um this is the three best friends podcast they're favored by 19 and a half you know know. it's just like who's watching this it's yeah it feels like uh when michigan state got in a couple of years ago and it was like all right well how much are they gonna win by and they won by like what what, 30 was it like 33 to 3 or something it's wild and and where do you guys stand with with how like an eight team or even a sixteen playoff would work in terms of the at larges? Would you go? I saw Godfrey talk Godfrey talk about maybe you could you could make a P six with the AAC getting an auto bid. Um, they've obviously proven to be a pretty good conference over the past since they've been since they've been a football conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, or do you go with like the highest G five plus two at large? Or like what do, what do you guys think about like the actual dynamics of of a, of an eight team playoff? 
it's tricky because I have zero faith in the college football playoff committee to do anything. Right. And so whatever additional structures you put in place, automatic group of five bid quasi power six conference with the American, I think is going to be good because it's going to necessitate certain bids that we probably on the average year will want to see. But at the same time, it's going to make the, shoehorning of Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson, Notre Dame, and those programs, all the more obvious when it comes to, you know, the other positions, especially if those become limited, you're going to get a championship in a conference one year where everybody knows it's not the best team, everybody. And we're going to start to want to go back to that whole, let's put a bunch of people in a dark room and they're going to come up with rankings and sure it's going to work. You know what I mean? So it's, it's very tricky. The other thing is just simply how many games of attrition, how many, body blows how many times do you want these players to be hit especially when you consider that they're not making money that's where i struggle with it the most right the answer is zero but that's like a whole other story exactly right it's how can we logistically do this well i'd like to logistically do it by limiting the regular season and by keeping the number of games the same that's not what uh university presidents and ad's are going to want because that's money right and that and and obviously that's the driving force of of all sports but especially college football and and keeping these programs afloat what i think is is a good marriage that has to be acknowledged is that it's hard for group of five programs to remain salient right it's difficult for them to make money and make good money in in the current state of college football and right now they're not making the playoff i think if you get group of five teams the ability to make the playoffs even if it ends up being heavily on the american conference every year year in and year out you're at least getting a, a better lifeline to group of five programs to generate more exposure get better recruits and accordingly start being more self-sufficient in their, uh, in their spreadsheets, which is important to them. So I think you got to get a group of five in there. That's like number one that would keep everybody happy beyond that nightmare of logistics. So somebody else's job, not mine. Yeah. It's it basically we're, we're at a point where even if you get a team that's not in a group of five, that's playing well, that's undefeated, that has some quote unquote star power, if you want to call it that, but like, they're not even giving them a chance to get in, you know, Cincinnati being punished the way that they have been this year through the committee. It's like it, you're basically saying you have no chance to get in with five power conferences and only four college football playoff spots. It's just, it, it's hard to see that it's actually fair that you're giving some of these other teams in the country that might have these kind of Cinderella seasons where it all goes well for them. The recruiting cycle all lines up where they could really line up and, put an actual challenge on some of the quote unquote best and blue blood college football programs when it comes to getting in the playoff and playing for a national championship. And like right now we just, we don't even have that opportunity open. The real thing is that I just want the crystal ball football trophy back. That's all. Whatever gets us back to the BCS crystal ball football trophy. That's what I'm going to sign off for. Cause I felt like that was the best trophy in sports. And now we don't even have it anymore. You know, what's funny about the BCS is like, we just weren't ready for the computers to decide everything for us in the year, well, first year, 97, 98 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think like if you like 2020, you know, where we are now, I think if you, you people would be more accepting of the fact that the computer is just going to rank everything. And, and the funny thing about, about like computer ranking and stuff like that, it's the, it, the inputs are all human based. It's like, okay, we want, uh, if we want, uh, strength of schedule to be weighted a certain way, then we weighted a certain way. If we want, um, you know, margin of victory to be weighted a certain way, it's all human inputs. Just 
spits it out in in a in a way that I don't I don't think people were ready for in night from you know ninety seven till two thousand thirteen or whatever two thousand fourteen whatever it was and I think now people will be more into it but again now that we've gone this way and now we have a playoff we can't go back mm-hmm. like we want to see like we're saying we want to see more games right now now we want more it's like yeah I I think I agree with you we probably had a good formula with getting the best two teams at the top with the BCS, but now we're going the opposite direction. Like we just started the show basically clamoring for more. You know what we need is we need the computer to decide one team and then we need the people to vote yeah. for another. The so people. it just could be the people versus the computers every single year for the college football. Champion. Yeah. That, what, what the world needs is more computer versus people discourse discourse, especially <laughs> in, in, in football. Yes. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> you, I don't know if I just say this on the podcast, but do you guys ever think about how, so the three of us are on like, uh, we're on the internet a lot, I would say more than we should, unfortunately, be. more than we should be. <laughs> you ever go talk to your, to your, uh, um, friends who, who like are less on Twitter or who are not on Twitter, but who are still like football people. Like, you know, I have, you know, obviously me, I haven't coached. I, I've been around so many football people who aren't necessarily on Twitter like us. They don't care about the stuff. And honestly, sure. I love them for that. They <laughs> don't tough. care about running back value. They don't care about right. play action value. They don't care. And they're fucking right. happy. As, <laughs> as the Velveeta cheese account told us yesterday, <laughs> it's a very real sentence as Velveeta told us sometimes stats just exist to create narratives. Right. Which like, obviously like, wow, I'm here on PFF saying these things, whatever, like I love PFF. It's all great. But it is to say that like the more information we have, the more we feel like we need to understand this, the more we feel like we need to understand it, you get differing opinions and discourse and conversations. Then everything just becomes a giant circle. It was Zach Wilson against UCF. Oh my God. I wish that game wasn't nationally televised. Mm-hmm. Every, like the day after the jets get the number two overall pick, Zach Wilson goes up against objectively the worst defense he will play this year. They've got multiple kids out who aren't in this game and they don't, care and clearly BYU was like we're gonna get as many touchdowns for Zach Wilson yeah. as possible going QB runs inside the 10 like this is his last game let's go nuts and everybody's like yo this is why it's QB2 this is an exhibition game like can we we don't have to talk about things just because they're in front of us right but absolutely so that's when it's always so like centering and, and, and a reminder of the 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 discourse when you don't talk to people who exist in a constant need to like react to every single narrative as it pops up in real time on the internet. Which it is, is very funny because I was, I, people like friends and family, they, they know that I work at football media. So it's just kind of a natural conversation when they want to know what's up or how I've been or something. They'll just start talking about football and blah, blah, blah. And it was funny because we were talking about the NFL playoffs and some of the teams were good just like a couple of weeks ago. And the person was like, Hey, yeah, like the Browns are doing good for like the first time. And like in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, but Stefanski has the play action offense up and he's masking Baker Mayfield and he's not actually getting better. And in reality, I, and then what came out of my mouth is, yeah, they've been doing good. Yeah, they've been doing And you know what? It felt very relaxing, therapeutic. I think we should all learn from this and 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 stay off Twitter for a bit. I say that as someone who's never going to clog off. So yeah, like this. Yeah, this is true. Um, but okay, let's talk about Zach Wilson because his, his like historic um i mean historic is 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 an exaggeration but his historic rise to to you know up the draft boards now someone said to me yesterday that nfl teams already had him pretty high but whatever irrelevant Mm -hmm. in in the media at least in in our popular narrative he's shot up the draft rankings uh do do you do you guys like have any thoughts on like how this happened 
mm-hmm. and then where where you see him um, as an NFL quarterback. Ben, you want to yeah. go first? Yeah, well, we we did, we did a, a bit of a we did like a Justin Fields quasi Zach Wilson talk the other day, uh, right? So, firstly, you know, and this is now becoming kind of a catch-all idea talking about narratives, but like outside zone sure helps when you can run it. Uh, you know, <laughs> we we don't we're still getting a feel for just how much that horizontal stress, which obviously like Herb and Meyer horizontal stretch, like we all know that concept is good, but we typically think about it in terms of spread them and shred them, bubble screens, quick looks, that horizontal stretch of outside zone does wonders for you in pulling second level, and even third level defenders down from where you want them to be, get them into the line of scrimmage and then make plays behind them. Uh, so the, the integration of that running game is good. You know, you, you talk about some of their prospects on the offensive line, Brady Christensen, Tristan Hogue, they, they're able to move dudes off the ball. You saw that physicality against UCF, even throughout the season. And Nick Algiers is legit. That dude rumbles, you know, he, he's a lot of fun. So outside zone helps the talent with Wilson has always been evident, right? When you say like, oh, you know, he's always been high in league circles. I remember Wilson in 2019, you know, playing Tennessee, playing USC and being like, you know, that kid's fun. Like that's an arm. Like we, we got a live one as you become more comfortable with the idea of quarterbacks consistently making plays out of structure. As you become more as a coach comfortable with the idea of volatility and saying, you know what, we're going to go for one 40 yard gain every three plays instead of, you know, three 10 yard gains in our passing game you become more comfortable with those ideas. Players like Zach Wilson, who don't fit your prototypes for height, or don't fit your prototypes for for size. He's got to work in the back of the pocket to be able to see everything. They become more tenable. They become more workable. And so Wilson very nicely rides the wave of, I think what the league is becoming more comfortable with and what, uh, you know, subsequently college football is becoming more comfortable with. Then you also see that he's gotten a lot better in the quick game, right? He's obviously very comfortable pushing it down the field. He's got some explosive plays, but he's become more comfortable in the quick game. And that's, what's really, I think important when you talk about Wilson and how he fits and what offense, because a lot of people say like, he's a really good Shanahan quarterback. Why? Because of the outside zone stuff, because the play action stuff, the boot action. Shanahan, man, you need to be able to five step off that, that outside zone play action. You need to be able to seven step in the pocket RPO glance route, 18 yards down the field, one read. Like you've got to be on time with your feet. That's a very important aspect of that offense. If you're talking like Arthur Smith, it's a little bit different, but if we're like true Shanahan, that timing is pretty critical. And that's where I think Wilson's improvement in the quick game is so important because the quick game is very important in the NFL and it's critical in that Shanahan system. So the deep stuff is great. You know, the, the, the isolation routes, all that's awesome. But when an NFL team wants to open up schemed yardage, they're going to do it over the middle with quick breaking routes and, and Wilson's improvement there, I think is what gives him the biggest boost looking into 2020. And beyond a lot of the technical stuff, I just think that it's really easy to buy into a guy who's playing as confidently as he is right now. You know, like Ben talked about some of the short game and, and, and deep stuff. And before this season, I remember the only time I really saw Zach Wilson is kind of for some of the bigger plays that he was making. I wasn't seeing a lot of the like full BYU games or any full analysis of, of his games. And it was really just kind of those big chunk plays. It's like, Hey, Zach Wilson did something cool for BYU. And this year we're examining a lot more, but he's a lot more comfortable with what he's doing. Kind of what Ben was saying there. And it's just, it's really easy to buy into a guy that's clearly that comfortable. I mean, what, whether it's on play action or outside the pocket or a longer drop step, I mean, like he just has a confident flow about him. The execution is there. There's no hesitation. Anytime that's the case, those are the kind of players that make you fall in love with them. Like those are the kinds of players that you believe in them and you go, okay, that's the kind of confidence. And and that's the kind of, I guess, leadership that you would want to see from being a quarterback that you go, okay, I can improve these other little things that you might want to work on him with because I've got that as a baseline. And so that's been the biggest thing. And when you talk about the 
rise for him. Yeah, technically, I think that he's getting a lot more diverse, but really, I think that he's taken a national prominence because of how easy it is to enjoy what he's doing. This is kind of what I what I wrote about in my article for ESPN. Chillax, relax. (laughs) No need. No need. But the idea is the idea. I actually think this part got edited out of the article. But like, uh, what I originally wrote was, you know, one of the you know because we had this weird college football season, no fans in the stands and stuff like that. We didn't get the full Zach Wilson experience because you know the confidence and and the and the the cockiness or arrogance or whatever it is that he plays with that swag that he plays with is reminiscent of Joe Burrow last year. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things we loved about Joe Burrow is like he's going out there. He he said. He said in the preseason, Joe Burrow said, yeah, he said in the preseason, Hey, we're going to, we're going to score a lot of points. And then they did it. And then, um, you know, and like that, we, we love watching the the rise of Lamar Jackson um, because there was a confidence and a, and, and a swagger Cam Newton. We love, you know, we love to smile, right. like it was stuff like that, that we like watching. We didn't really get that was, was Zach Wilson, uh, which is unfortunate. I, I also think one of the things that I see a lot is, he's able to hit these shots down the sideline. And I looked and I, you know, I watched the film and I looked this up um, using our PFF uh, database. Uh, I don't know if you guys know it. It's pretty cool. But I um, need to relax, relax. <laughs> he's really good throwing from one hash to the op- Like, okay. So we're going to get into this discussion because I've, I've been thinking about it for like a week now. This is a safe space. Nobody can hear you yeah. here. It's fine. Just throw Trust the idea me. out. And no one's listening. So <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. No but. Issue. <laughs> so, so he, he can stand on one hash and, and the wide hash, you know, in college football and make mm-hmm. these elite throws to the opposite sideline anywhere down the field. And I'm like, man, so, you know, I coach quarterbacks for so long. I love the, I, like the, the details of, of how you read a route and how there are certain concepts that are more difficult, less difficult. And usually that stuff is usually over the middle, you know, working around linebackers, uh, high low linebackers, you know, you talk about horizontal stretches, you know, let, you know, horizontal stretch on, on, on linebackers, stuff like that, the safeties, whatever. And like, that's great. But I'm beginning to realize just just find me the guy who could throw the ball a million yards and we'll figure it out later. Right. Okay? right. No, and right. As much okay. as I love, this is what I love watching about football. It's, it's like 100%. My favorite thing is watching quarterback work through reads and, and set his feet to the right target. And, and then, you know, throw tight windows because the, because the Sam moved one way, whatever. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Give me Trevor Lawrence. Give me Zach Wilson. Even Justin Fields has a pretty strong arm. I know it's not at those two level, but like, just give me someone who can throw the ball. We'll figure it out. And maybe, and if it doesn't figure we don't work it out. We all get fired and who cares? Okay. So this is, this is nuts. This is really cool because I'm going to compare you to Kyle Shanahan right now. Congratulations. <laughs> Shanahan, right? Like, Relax. What has it been? But what's it been for Shanahan, right? What has what been with Matt Ryan and what has been with Jimmy Garoppolo. And it, it's been that just obnoxious ability. I was just rewatching the Super Bowl. that just ridiculous ability to open up that middle of the field. Like there's just, where, where are the, where's the whole curl defender? Where's the, the rat? There's just not there. He's moved them all and he's made that area so easy. So he simplifies and, it, and it's tremendous. And he's always talked about that, which I brought up earlier with Wilson, right. And footwork and timing and so on and so forth about his quarterback. And then he was getting asked about quarterback evaluations a couple of weeks ago. And he said like, uh, I'm, I'm pulling the quote, how I evaluate everything is always changing. 
uh, I evaluate quarterbacks to try and find people that have a chance. One of those elite type of guys, you can see now there's plenty of different ways. Uh, you're just trying to find a guy who's better than about 98% of the people on the planet. And he said this right after the Josh Allen loss. And this was, this is a total about face from everything he said about quarterbacks before. It's like, you know, consistency and you got to prepare and da da da. He's like, I just kind of want a dude who can chuck it, you know, and, and they were reading into what that means for Garoppolo, but absolutely there's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because sometimes when a quarterback like Wilson has such success at BYU making those throws that are probably objectively ill-advised, and then he enters the league and everybody's playing faster and stronger at the catch point, whatever. And you start attempting those throws and it doesn't go as well for you. You know, you have to learn to be a little bit more risk averse, but it just opens up the field. You just have so much more space to deal with. And I think that that is, that is changing meta, right? Like that we're, we're, we're watching Josh Allen. We're watching Patrick Mahomes and even watching guys like Matt Stafford who've been around and saying, the more you can open up this field for me, just the, the, the easier it makes my job, the easier it makes our job together. So like that point that you make is I think reflected like in, in Shanahan himself talking about how he evaluates quarterbacks. Yeah. And just going to a couple of the quarterback names that you had, Ben and I, uh, for, some of the summer series that we do, we do summer scouting on the podcast and we were looking over Trevor Lawrence. And when we looked him over, it was kind of like, all right, we're very excited to watch him because a, a point that we discussed is that until you are draft eligible, you're a God, right? I mean, like you can do no wrong. Every throw is the greatest throw you've ever seen. You're the second coming of Jesus Christ. Like it's, you are the greatest thing that's ever happened to football. And then when you become draft eligible, you actually put, I don't, whatever, whether you want to call it your scouting glasses or you just put them under the microscope and you see different things that are there. We saw that of Trevor Lawrence, that there were plenty of inconsistencies and areas where he had to be more efficient and maybe don't throw, don't make a throw here or uh, don't make a decision here that he still had to work on. But those throws to the sideline opposite hash that he had on a rope that he was hitting people in stride, these quote unquote NFL throws, if you want to call them that every time pinpoint, right there and it was just like that's what you want to you to your point what you said give me that, that guy we'll figure out the rest we give me the guy who can make the difficult throws like that with velocity and with distance we can figure out the rest and and we're getting to a point where everyone's going to be running the wide zone offense so you don't need a drop back you don't need joe burrow right. anymore like it was great i loved you know he played for my favorite team and then when you really dug into the tape he was doing stuff that and running an offense that not a lot of college quarterbacks have really run in, in a long time. Right. It was an mm -hmm. NFL. Everything was over the middle. You know, you can go on our, like um, our cultural preview magazine. We had our, the heat maps of where LSU was running their routes all over the middle of the field. So that made him, that was, those are difficult plays to complete time and time again, drop back, pass, drop back, pass, drop back, pass. And he was doing them. So that was great. But then I'm like, who cares? I'm like, oh, man, I just like, like that was fun. I, I got to have fun watching him and, and, and like really dissecting like, and like having fun watching quarterback play. But then if, if Trevor Lawrence wants to lock onto his first read and, and throw a jump off to T Higgins and it's like good, then he'll probably be fine in the NFL too. Like, yeah, I don't but that's, know what else to that's say. what's so fun about this quarterback class. Like last year's quarterback class was good, but when you sat down and you were like, whose arm is just breaking yeah. everything, right? It wasn't, Bro, and it wasn't Tua either. Like there was no, a, Herbert's. there was a, no, it was Herbert. That the Herbert was no, the guy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm answering your question. Like it was yeah. Herbert's, even yeah, we though we had those three top dudes, feel like but, using it. Yeah, no, Herbert was the one dude who was just like, how did that get there that quickly at that trajectory? Like what? <laughs> yeah, and here in this class, we've got four guys, right? You have Wilson who like put a 50 yard ball on a rope against, against UCF. 
You have Trevor Lawrence who can slot insanely tight windows over the middle of the field. You have Justin Fields whose entire offense is like, hey, throw a 15-yard outbreaker from the opposite hash. And then you have Trey Lance who it's like, oh, what, what, what? Trey Lance, the strength of competition. Oh, is he raw? And you watch him just like 60-yard bombs against Southern Illinois. And you're like, what is this? Like, how did this arm get here? So we got four like legit NFL arms in this class. And that's why it's just, it's not, not more fun, but we're not going to have the same Burrow conversations and Tua conversations as we did as we did last year with these guys. Like we're going to have uh, clear physical skill sets that, that allow you to just talk about things like fit and things like choices, and that's a lot of fun. You forgot to mention Kyle Trask, but I'll I'll, I'll forgive you <laughs> on the, the the elite arm conversation. Reminds me of Josh Allen. Kyle Trask does with the arm strength with the oh, size for sure. Indeed. Do, do, do yeah. you guys think Kyle Trask is anything anything of a of an NFL prospect? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think he's a, an NFL prospect, but I mean, you're, you're not drafting him in the first round to potentially be like a franchise guy. Like, no, I don't think that's the case. I, at this point, I think he's just going to go somewhere on day two and it's kind of going to be, I think his ceiling is kind of almost like a preferred backup position. Like, I think that he might be a spot starter here and there, but I, I, I just, I don't think that he has the arm strength. He's got phenomenal touch. And for that reason, I think that, he will stick around NFL teams. And like, I think he could be in the league almost as long as he wants because he could be that preferred backup guy that, you know, if the starter goes down in the middle of a game and you need somebody to come in, like, I think he can be fine for you. But in terms of like giving the keys of the franchise to making those three, four, five throws a game that are a football sized window and you got to fit it through there in, in 0.2 seconds of margin of error. Like he's just not going to be able to do that for you. And so that's where I, I certainly think he's going to get drafted. And right now I, I tell you it's somewhere on day two. I'm not sure exactly where it's so. going to be, but that's what, that's what I believe with him. Yeah. Better chance. Mac Jones is going round one than Trask. It's you know you go on. Jones got the deep ball. Jones has got that, that wild vertical ball touch that Trask doesn't have. And that skill is important. I, I think Jones has, you know, you look at the difference just in that SEC championship game, the difference in like the zip that both quarterbacks can put on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, Mac Jones has it. He also has a little bit on his legs too, that you can, that'll, that'll help him. I'm not saying you can design, you know, quarterback run schemes around him, but I think it'll help him more than Trask who's a bit slow, but my I thing like it Tr- when Trask tossed the ball, man, he's a, he's a dump truck out there. He ain't changing direction, but he will hit you and he'll hit you hard. And I respect that. That's a man who was a backup in high school. He knows you fight forever. He yard. lowers the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. He's, he's, he's the kind of dude who, like you just said there, he's been a backup for a long time in his career. So when they go, Hey, I need you to tuck this and run it. He's like, whatever you want, coach, I will die for you right this now. This might be this my field. last third and seven. So we're going to pick it up kids. Here we go. But Trask is a guy is, is like the, the same guy that I'm talking about before where it, like 2020 draft, 2020 Trask, 2019 draft, Trask, a little different, um, made, made probably too many mistakes. Yeah, but 2020, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, 2020 Trask is that guy where I, I would, over, I, to me, he's like QB1 in the sense where it's like you watch like, the kid play the quarterback position and all the different reads that he has to make. And now Mullen's offense is, is he, Mullen is, is, one of my top five favorite offensive coaches uh, yeah. in the country. I don't think there's a question. He's great. And he's been great for a long time. Uh, and obviously, you know, Kadarius Tony and Cal Pitts are special, special players, but so, so, but all the, all the teams have special players at receiver and, and offensive right, line. Right. So he's a guy, Oh, wow. Look at the read. Look at that read. Oh, look at that read. That's cool. He did this and he did that. And then it's like, I don't want to keep saying the same thing. It doesn't matter because it, the ball comes out so slowly with mm-hmm. him. Anyways, that's that's my new my new quarterback thing. It's just being like, yep. 
Does he throw the ball fast? Good. Seth yeah. doesn't even watch quarterbacks now. He just waits for the MPH measurements at the combine. Yeah, he just This wants, is my Seth ranking. Do it at the combine with Seth Galina would have thought Deshaun Watson was bad. Seth, I need I need you this year to post a picture on Twitter of you holding a speed gun at your computer screen as you are watching the combine from your office. I pointer finger. You to point. Not <laughs> thumb, pointer finger. This is how we get consistent measurements. So wait, explain to the listeners how you get consistent measurements on oh, the stop on the stop gun. It's with the yeah. You guys you can't click the button with your thumb. You have to click with your index finger. I don't even know where this like I don't even like what how this, but it is. It's just what it is. And so that's why you see all of their scouts with their stopwatches in their hands at the 40-yard dash line. Charlie Casserly and get ready to go anytime. Bang, 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 bang. Four, five, two. Uh, okay, let's let, let's talk about Deshaun Watson. Uh, this is the question that I asked you guys in our group chat, and then I said that I didn't reveal it until right now. Uh, oh, the question I wanted to ask you guys. So I I wasn't watching doing quarterback evaluations uh, in 20, what, 2016, 2017, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I think 2016. Um, I, I I made takes on the quarterback class that year but i didn't watch i just right, watched yeah. like three Big games difference. of a broadcast film we've all we've all been there and my takes came out as it's still available you can still find this tweet but uh it was like i don't know deshaun watson which i got right and then <laughs> deshaun kaiser and uh mitchell trubisky before yeah. patrick Mahomes. but that's not the point i'm making point is because i didn't watch deshaun watson like thoroughly in that clemson offense my first like foray into that offense is with Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, I think we've talked about it a bit, how that offense is not an NFL offense period. Like that's, I'll just put it out there for the most part. It's not like an NFL, they don't run NFL concepts. Uh, I made this joke. uh, I think I'm somewhere uh, in in public recently where, you know, they're running like mirrored smash concepts and it's like, (laughs) dude, that's like a high school offense in 2009. Right. When I, was right. Reading, when I was like trying to develop my <laughs> offense when I was like 20 years old, I was like, oh, oh mirrored smash. Con-. Like, anyways, I don't have to get into that, but like, <laughs> they can't cover smash on both sides of the formation. Yeah. It's genius. Uh, what do you mean it's not an NFL offense? Uh, so, uh, so then I'm like, oh, this Clemson offense is like, it's not, not, not real. It's like, you know, you can only get away with it because you have the, the physical talent of, of um, Trevor Lawrence, but then I go back and I'm like, okay, well, wait a minute. If they were doing the same thing with Deshaun Watts. So I'm like, oh, so like this off season, I was like, oh, uh, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence, he's uh, not that good. You know, uh, he doesn't play an NFL offense. So he's like QB seven or whatever. And like, then I'm like, wait a minute. If Deshaun Watson played in the same offense and he turned out pretty damn good. Like, does that, when you watch these quarterbacks, does the offense they play in, I guess we're going back to the same cost a conversation we've, we've just been having, but like, does that matter so much? Um, can they like, does the offense matter so much or is it mostly, can they play in whatever offense they're given at the time? Mm-hmm. It has to matter. And you can't escape the context, you know? And like, that's, that goes to the players you're throwing to, as opposed to the players you're throwing against, right. We're talking about strength of competition. Uh, that goes to what you're asked to asked to do and critically what you're not asked to do. You know what I mean? Like when Clemson gets third and two, what are they doing? Uh, it's it's they're running an, an option. They're running something in the backfield, they're pulling or zone read or whatever, but they are, they're running an RPO at best 
versus when you get to third and two in like the Ohio State offense. They're like, all right, stick. And it's like, what? Well, he's 6'3, 230 pounds. You know, you could do this too, right? So, so what they are asked to do versus what they're not asked to do, what is there versus what isn't there. And that's what we, whenever we talk about confidence intervals in evaluations, right? Like, okay. Lawrence is definitely really good. Fields is definitely good. Zach Wilson's definitely really good. What's your confidence interval here, right? When, when before Wilson was like, even in the conversation in the summer and we had Trey Lance, it was okay. You can make an argument. Trey Lance is as physically gifted as Lawrence and his field. You can do it, but your confidence interval and how good he's going to be in the league year one and year two is way smaller just because of the nature of against whom he's playing. Right? So all this information gets baked in, into your confidence intervals. So you then look at a player like Justin Fields, who the, the, the laser focus right now is on fields pocket presence and how long he holds the football. So it's a question of now, how confident are you that this can change? And when you watch fields physical tool set and you notice how easy it is for him to break tackles and to escape pressure when he sees it coming, you say, all right, I'm confident in his ability to get that done. Now, can he learn to recognize it? Can he learn to see it? And you see fields, go through progressions and you see him make reads and you see him, you know, with full field vision when he's outside of the pocket and you say, all right, this guy's clearly comfortable seeing the field, clearly comfortable IDing players. He knows what he's supposed to look at at other stuff. That makes me more confident that he's going to know what he should look at when we talk about recognizing blitzes and, and your hot reads, so on and so forth. And then you get him on the whiteboard and you ask him about this and that increases or right. decreases. So it's all about how, how confident you can get in an evaluation. And that's when you sit with a guy like Trevor Lawrence and you say, okay, nobody else is winning national championships as a freshman. Nobody else is making these throws. I am so confident that he's going to be a good NFL player. And there, hopefully there's somebody in your building who says, you know, devil's advocate here. He can't run this offense. He's got two routes on the field on 90, mm -hmm. not 90 on 40% of his passing concepts mm -hmm. because they know they can pull people. They know they can move people. And then they know that, Amari Rogers is going to beat Georgia Tech's corner in space. They, they, why would you make it more difficult than that? And that's where you have to at least vocalize the doubt. So you recognize just how confident you are in, in your evaluation. And then it's some extremely uh, well-paid general manager, owner, head coach's job to take that information and, you know, push all their chips in on one, one, uh, one spot in the roulette wheel. And that's why I will never, ever, ever work for an NFL team ever. Cause that's the most stressful thing that I can imagine in my entire life. You know what I mean? But that it, it's about calibrating to how confident you are in your evaluations. It's, it's the toughest thing to do in scouting, right? Removing a guy from one situation that he's had for the last three or four years and trying to project him into a different scenario with different coaches who might be running something different as the competition level then goes up at the same time. And you know, it's, it, it's hard because, scouting we hear this all the time it starts with identifying what a guy can do right i mean like that's the whole scouting thing it's tell me what he can do tell me where he wins what he does well but at the same time it's not like you can look at what a guy especially this is certainly more so for quarterback like if you're a pass rusher and you win mostly with speed and that's just like what you do that can, that can be just what you do quarterback is different because where you certainly want to see what they do well it almost is the opposite because you've got to be able to check some obvious boxes pretty quickly ball placement arm strength you know like being able to uh deal with things outside of structure like you've got to be able to check off some boxes or you could just write them off and say like okay they're 
not a franchise quarterback. Like they just don't have that ceiling there. And then you have to be able to identify also what Ben was saying right there. What can't they do and why aren't they doing it? If you see the same scheme a lot, you've got to ask yourself, is this simply what he was saying there? Because this is the easiest way to exploit college football and win national championships. Or is there some sort of limitation here? Are you eliminating half the field so they don't have to make full field reads? Are you only doing certain passing concepts because this is what they're most comfortable with? You've got to be able to, identify those things and it's 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 a weird give and take because we say all the time you know like you can't scout the helmet you've got to scout scout the name on the back of the jersey you know like you're you've got to be able to look at guys individually but at the same time you know you look at an offense like ohio state right i mean like that's a big talking point right now is that with justin field's recent struggles everybody continues to go to like well ohio state's offense makes this easy against inferior opponents and Ohio State's quarterbacks of the past really haven't panned out in the NFL. That's going to be Justin Fields. Well, you don't know that for sure. You've got to be able to figure out why exactly he's struggling the way that he is. And and I think that that's such a tough part of quarterback evaluation is that you have to bring that into account more than almost any other position. If you are a big possession wide receiver, you can just look at where he wins. He is a big bodied guy, throw him a 50, 50 ball, make him a red zone target, whatever. Like that's yeah. where he wins. JJ, like I said, a white side. No problem. It's going to work. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The yeah. That was a good example. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. let's use that. Um, yeah. pa- pass rusher, right? If you win in one certain way that can still have value. And we talk about where a guy wins constantly for scouting, but for quarterbacks, you almost have to spend more time on the opposite end and see, okay, what isn't he doing and why, if it's simply because he's not being asked to do it and you see instances of him being able to do it throughout his college career, then you could go, okay, like Ben said, it can rest your worries. You can have more confidence in him, but if you never see it and maybe in the times you do see it, they struggle. That's something worth identifying too. And so it's, it's, it's a tougher part of why QB is uh, a very difficult uh, position to evaluate going from college to the NFL. I also think we're getting into that, that stuff you, that you're talking about, like, okay, what is he not doing? So you look at some of the offenses that these guys are playing in, and it's not – the more I think about it, it's not just – I think Clemson is probably the most egregious example from one of the top teams. But you can't do – Alabama's not running an NFL offense either. It might look more like an NFL offense, but it's mm-hmm. not. Uh, Ohio State, they got two receivers running two receivers the whole, in the whole game that's, that are that are being looked at that are being targeted. Right, yeah. right. Oklahoma right. is the same thing. Uh, and me and me and Deontay talked about this on the last episode, but it's like what they're what these new offense. There's two, to me, there's two offenses in college. There's three offenses in college football. Yeah, the, we talked about the wide zone offense, which obviously has its similarities into to NFL offenses. That's what Zach Wilson is running. Uh, Oregon under. Um, under what's his face last year yeah, the, the uh, not avalos the other one arroyo arroyo yeah yep. <laughs> uh who had a great year at unlv um <laughs> so them you have like app state you have louisville etc etc and then you have the super spreader offense like the rpo super spreader offense you know maybe like the old baylor's guys um yeah. and then the, how they've spread and then and then and then that's so that's a whole other offense and then you have these top elite teams. Like I said, Ohio State, kind of Clemson, kind of LSU, kind of, uh, you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, these type of teams that are like super elite where it's like, hey, we're going to protect with a lot of players. We're going to run play action. And we're going to hit you down the field because you, we know you can't play zone. 
Oh, sorry, sorry. We know you can't play man because you right. cannot run with our receivers because all right. we get all the five stars. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's done. When you get when you play zone, and we're just gonna run behind you and we're gonna eliminate the four pass rushers and the four underneath zones. We've just eliminated eight players. <laughs> And we're going to protect and we're going to give him time. And Matt Jones is going to find Devonta Smith on a, on a crossing right. route. Like he did against Florida, you know, like <laughs> they're running this double post. And then the guy from the backside is sneaking like, like yes. Oklahoma's Obnoxious. done for years. It's like, that's the NFL teams do that too. Like that was a big play. I remember watching the, the Dable runs that a lot. Um, I believe with, uh, with Josh Allen, at least in the past couple of years, but like, so it's like, like does, that doesn't exist, man. That doesn't. And then, and then of course you're, you're getting yards in the running game. LSU. I talked about Deontay last week. It was seven my protection, Justin Jefferson. It's like two outside routes that are vertical with Terrace Marshall mm-hmm. and Jamar chase. And then yeah. mm-hmm. number hey, one wide receiver recruit, number three wide receiver crew from that class. No problem. Right, right, Justin right. Jefferson run yeah. 10 yards vertical and then find a spot in the middle of the field. You go any direction you want. <laughs> and it's like, we're going to play action. The linebacker is going to bite up. We're going to protect with seven and then, and then we'll find a way. So it's like, I, I just find it, it's so hard to separate now. Yeah. The other thing is that Ohio state, Clemson, uh, Alabama, said Georgia, whatever. They all, they get all the best players. And now the quarterbacks are going to these finding the, these teams too. So mm-hmm. it's like separating these guys from the, the surrounding teams. Like, right. Right. You can't, like you can't say like this year, we're going to talk about Mac Jones. Oh, well, he played with Devonta and Jane Wall, those are two first round picks, and Najee Harris and offensive line. But it's like, okay, well, so is Ohio State. Everyone's gonna get drafted in Ohio State too, and, and Clemson mm-hmm. too. I don't know. It's just it's it's tough. You you you're trying to remove these guys from these elite situations that are very tailored to and I mean like a lot of these schools also have some of the best coaching minds in the business, right? I mean, like the, a lot of the top coaching minds go to a lot of these good programs as well. Yeah. So you've got the best players, you've got the best coaches, you've got great surroundings and Mm-hmm. you're all of a sudden getting drafted to the jets or you're getting yeah. drafted to the Jags. And it's like, all of a sudden it's just a, a switch that is flipped. And a lot of this stuff certainly has to do with situation, but it's, it's, it's tough. That's the toughest thing in scouting. I think is to try to remove these players from environments that they are uh, developed in to succeed in the easiest ways possible. That might not look the same when they make it to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Enough about the neo-capitalism of college football now. Enough about the aristocracy, egalitarianism. But the 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 last point to this conversation, which this like thirty-minute, you know, devolving of Seth into realizing that our jobs are completely pointless and we'll never be able to do them well. Uh, the last point here. Please subscribe is, to the Lockdown NFL Draft <laughs> Podcast. Right. The the final point is, and then when you get like not a five star into this situation, it's way easier for them to develop. Because everything else around them is so much easier, right? This is how you get Norman Powell, who's like uh, the you know been a senior. He's been on Clemson for five years. He's never done anything, and they're just like, "Oh, you're just our ex receiver now." And Powell's like, "Yeah, you know what I mean? I've been in the Clemson weight room for yeah. four years, right? You know what I mean? I've been catching passes from Trevor Lawrence and DJ Uangalale in practice. They're all accurate. Like you get it's so much easier to develop when yeah. you don't even get those top players. Yeah. So this is how it, it spirals and everything. You yeah. know, it, it all stays with the top." 
the, the LSU thing is funny with like a guy like Jefferson who like who is not who is like a two star or something like that. There you go. Obviously, you know he's got like a lineage to LSU with all the Jeffersons there, but but he was still a two star. But but the thing is, you invest all this money into him. They were doing stuff, and I'm sure some other teams are doing this, but I know the only team I had heard doing it was LSU last year, where they invested money into like these glasses because they 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 right, did like the, some the spatial blinders. awareness stuff to figure out like which eye they could see better out of. Which maybe they should have used like ten years ago on like Dwayne Bow, but like they um so like they 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 like figured out like which eye um could see better so that they so that they ended up training that eye more than the other eye with these like blocker glasses on while they're catching passes and it's like that is an insane investment. <laughs> what are you thinking? Well, it's a nineteen-year-old. Just let him go play FIFA. Oh, that you know what? That reminds me of the story I, I was watching. I don't know if you guys follow soccer at all, but I was watching this like interview with Ryan Giggs, who was like a Welsh, like Manchester United, like superstar player. And he played on the wing. Okay. He played down the left side. So he was like on the sideline, right? This whole 20 years is up and down the sideline. So every pass he made was to his right because then you can't make a pass to the left or else, you know, he's already on the left sideline. Right. So then later in his career, he moves to the midfield more centrally. And then they did it. And then like someone from Manchester United at the time came up to him and was like, Hey, you know, all your passes are going to the right. Even though, even though now you can pass to the left, all your passes are still going to the right. And it was because for 20 years, he never had to make a, a you know, a left-handed pass. And then they, they figured it out and he, and he, and he started working on his stuff. But anyways, that, that's just like, that's the investment these kids get now uh, at college football. So you can create, it's that's a good point the creating the environment okay yes yeah, so, uh, so then they broke so then they broke that guy's left leg and just forced him <laughs> for the next rehab Easy three solution. months to kick with his right um okay so same question but for every different defensive player uh what okay uh, do you, what are the systems that you like on deep no i'm kidding um i want to talk about <laughs> no chance <laughs> i want to talk about the two semifinals before we get out of here um Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. What are the things? Okay, who do you think is going to win um, each each game? Let's start with Alabama, Notre Dame. Who do you think is going to win? And what are the things you're kind of looking for? And like, who are the prospects that you're looking to like flash uh, on national TV? Yeah. So Alabama, Notre Dame. Uh, I don't think Notre Dame Come is going to do it. Beat Come on, us. do it. <laughs> I, do I, I it. Think do Notre, it. The problem here with with Notre Dame is that so much of their passing game is oriented on getting mismatches with their tight ends. And number one, it's difficult to do that athletically against Alabama. And number two, your tight end releases against zone match aren't going to be as good as they were against like, you know, UNC running cover one. Like it's just not going to, you're not, you're not going to be at getting free runners across the middle of the field as successfully. You can pick on Alabama's linebackers and safeties a little bit, but I think it's going to be tough. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, Ian book is not the greatest pocket manager uh, in the world. And if you try to, you know, scamper out of the pocket and be Alabama athletes in space with your legs, you're going to struggle. So there's, I'm worried about that. Can I interject for a second and tell you who has the most scrambles this year in college football? Yeah. I mean, is it Ian book? It is Ian book, but I mean, I I feel like every single time I look up while watching a Notre Dame game. Yeah. He is outside the tackle box. And so I would have, I, I would have believed that. Now you make a good point about looking up. I've noticed that I'm on my phone for 90% of all football games now. Oh, is yeah, there something course. I can do yeah, to, yeah. Not, to, to like actually watch football? And no, like no, absolutely not. To like watch the games right. on we play. My, um, my wife who doesn't watch football at all was watching with me the other day. And she was asking me, she was like, how can you be like on your phone? 
all the time for like every like uh, during the plays like aren't you watching to like know what's going on and it was an eagles game and i'm a little bit familiar with the eagles so i like looked up and i saw they were lined up and i was like they're running zone left and they just like ran into the <laughs> left and i was like because this is just like it's just like you you get comfortable with being able to see what you're seeing quickly enough to then tweet about it to then talk to somebody else about it and get up for the next play and just kind of go um which yeah so sick wife brag and play prediction brag call me tony romo um but yeah uh, I, I don't think the Notre Dame offense has, has a, a very tenable approach. I'd love to see Kyron Williams, their young running back in them just kind of out physical Alabama up front, but that's a, that's a grinder approach that, that Alabama run defense is susceptible um, on defense is, is this is where you're looking at Dalen Hayes and you're looking at Ade Ogundeji, who's the, uh, the, the two edges for Notre Dame, both of whom are seniors. Ogundeji is a senior bowler, those guys against Leatherwood and potentially when Ogundeji lines up on the inside against Deontay Brown, their guard um, is that's your prospect versus prospect look. And then, you know, if Mike Renner finds out, I don't mention Kyle Hamilton on the podcast. I think will come after I, me. I love Kyle Hamilton. I'll never forget watching. I was watching Notre Dame warm up against Stanford in 20. It would have been 2019. So he was a true freshman. And I was watching their defensive backs line up and I was like, Oh, there's a wide receiver out there. And then I was like, <laughs> He's doing the, the drills and I look at the depth chart and they're like, yeah, Kyle Hamilton, freshman safety, six, four, two, ten. I was like, that's not allowed. It's freshman. What are we talking about? Uh, he's fun. He, he's legit. He's rangy. And so if you're going to get good plays made on that Alabama vertical passing attack, Notre Dame's going to need him to be sideline to sideline influence. So he's your, your key player on defense. Notre Dame's all three levels have got some, some fun defensive prospects. So that's what you watch for. And that's how you make it interesting when in the third quarter, it is 28 to three. Yeah. I think that Alabama is, obviously going to win the game ben mentioned a lot of the top prospects that are there um all first-time depositors and monkey knife fight that put at least 20 dollars into their account while using promo code pff will receive a free free pff edge annual subscription so that's a 40 dollar value value for just 20 dollars and you'll get that opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy football and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the usa in monkey knife fight go to monkey knife fight and deposit your twenty dollars with promo code pff today to receive your free pff edge annual subscription pff and sunday night football's chris collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field 49ers all pro cornerback richard sherman the chris collinsworth podcast featuring richard sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast they will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every week and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, investments. Another matchup that I don't think he mentioned, unless I just wasn't listening, which does ha tend to happen. Uh, <laughs> Jeremiah Usukoromoa, yeah. the uh, kind of Good. like nickel hybrid linebacker for Notre Dame going up against Jaleel Billingsley, the tight end from Alabama. Jaleel. That's, that's, another guy. that's another guy who's nasty. Right. Yeah. So Jaleel Billingsley is a sophomore, so he's not draft eligible, but he is, I mean, he brings you a lot of versatility in the passing game. And so they're going to try to use him a lot. And I'm not exactly sure how Notre Dame is going to, occupy 
Owusu Koromoa because there's a lot of different options against Alabama, and I'm not exactly sure where they're going to place him, but I think that he's going to get Billingsley a lot in those matchups. And if you do, that's kind of Owusu Koromoa's wheelhouse, and Billingsley is a damn good tight end. And so, you know, him going up against that will be a pretty good challenge. Okay, then the other one is uh, Ohio State Clemson, probably much tighter ball game. Obviously, we saw it be a tight ball game uh, last season. Came down to the the last throw of the game. Uh, again, who do you see winning and uh, the prospect? I'll start with Trevor, so you can get all the so you can uh, get all the good say, guys. Say it's say it first. Uh, I think that Clemson is going to win the game. Um, I don't know about easily. I think that it will be a better game than Alabama Notre Dame, but I'm, I'm pretty confident in Clemson. I'm looking forward to Ohio state's wide receivers going up against uh, Darion Kendrick, the cornerback for Clemson, because he is a wide receiver convert who is still kind of like adapting and, and learning the nuances of the cornerback position, but he's hyper athletic. I mean, like he's got great ball skills. He wears number one as a DB. So you automatically have to notice him and think that he has the potential to be very good. He's going to be going up against Wilson. I believe Olave is going to be back. And so yeah. that's going to be a great matchup going up against those two wide receivers. And so that's probably the matchup that I'm looking forward to most. Travis Etienne also going up against some of those Ohio state linebackers, uh, Pete Warner and Brandon Browning specifically, those are their more athletic guys. And obviously Travis Etienne is super athletic. And so those are probably the matchups that I'm thinking outside of the big headliner ones, the obvious, the Trevor Lawrence, the Justin Fields, you want to see how they play, but those are a couple of position matchups that I'm looking forward to. And I do think Clemson wins the game. Yeah. When you watch Clemson Ohio state last year, which Ohio state was able to get control of that game and then subsequently lose it. Uh, the ability to play man cover was so critical. And that was the Akuda, Arnett, you know, that Sean Wade in the slot. They cannot man cover this year. But, uh, but does Clemson have those receivers? No, but have you watched Seven Banks play? I'm not getting that. We don't yeah, say no. negative things about 18-year-olds on this podcast. <laughs> okay, I accept, I accept. <laughs> I'm just saying, in, Indiana said, listen, if you're going to play cover one, we're just going to chuck it, and we're going to chuck it as much as possible. We're going to put as many points up. Yeah. And obviously, we talked about Clemson's ability to isolate and then attack mm-hmm. matchups, uh, Amari mm-hmm. Rogers and, and, and Powell. I think that that's their Clemson's big advantage. I don't think Clemson gets dug into the same hole. And then I think if they generate a big lead, obviously, running game-wise, they can control it. Uh, the two Ohio State players of the net with narratives coming out of Northwestern were uh, Justin Fields and Trey Sermon, right? Arrows pointing in different directions. Fields really struggled against a good Northwestern secondary. Trey Sermon well, was, was given the keys to the, the Corvette, as it were, in the second half, and he just rumbled all over Northwestern. Not going to have the same physical advantage against Clemson. Is he still going to be able to be such a good tackle breaker, so consistent reading through his first level? He doesn't have game-breaking speed, so you've got to be really mistake-free. Uh, in the box if you're going to be an impact player as a runner. And so Trey Sermon's got a big heat check. He's had two really good games. Then for Justin Fields, it's the two best defenses you played have been Indiana and Northwestern. Clemson's better than both. If you want to kind of recover the narrative for your season, you've got to come out with with a good performance, especially against a team that beat you last year in part because of your failures down the stretch in the second half. So Fields against narratives and Trey Sermon kind of heat checking himself. Those are the two big ones to watch for Ohio State. I think it fields, I think one of the things I saw from fields against Northwestern is just, Hey, sometimes just take that hitch. Take it, on the you outside. Got it. Yeah, yeah, just take right. it and like live to see another down. Like you don't have to wait in the pocket so long. Mm-hmm. He, okay, lo- well, he looked, he looked like he was like championship game. I got to win yeah. it with my arm, baby. You know, right, like there's no just... Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson deep. We got to go. <laughs> I don't trust any of these other cats. These are all freshmen. I don't know who they are. Like, yeah, that was, that's like exactly what I saw when I watched. Yeah. Them. Okay. Last question. Um, keeping you guys forever just because I'm 
I'm lonely and I want friends. But uh, last question: <laughs> Who are the guys? Who are the guys from 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 the draft that just happened in last April, or I guess it was last May, uh, or whatever? Who cares? Um, that you got right, like 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 talk your shit. Okay. Oh, okay. Who were the guys you 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 were like? Everyone was like, "Nah, this guy sucks." You're like, "No, he's actually good," and he is good. And then and then the reverse is who are the guys who uh, you're like, "Hey, uh, Justin Herbert can't play," and then he turns out he can't play. I don't know who would have said that, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, who are those guys? <laughs> uh, okay. Ben, you want to go first or me? Uh you go first because I'm pulling up my big board right now, and I'm going to come up with good opinions. I thought your big board was already on your wall. That's my now, friend. I want you to know that's your the, friends. I want you to know which board. friends have, have which uh, friends was been nice I hit on this year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that by the end of the process, a lot of people were in on Antoine Winfield Jr., but I was pretty damn high on Antoine Winfield Jr. And then he happened to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so I've watched basically every snap of his, and he was fantastic to start. And I think he's got a super bright future. The other one that I would say is I got a lot of crap for mocking. Jalen hurts is like a fringe potential first round prospect for a long, long time. And then he went uh, decently high in the second round to the Philadelphia Eagles and now has dethroned their franchise quarterback and put the entire city of Philadelphia in a terrible situation. And so I remember like a lot of people were like, no, he's nowhere close to a top 50 prospect. Like he's a project at best. And so I'm kind of dunking with my Jalen hurts love because I had him. I think I mocked him in the first round. Like, pre-senior role so i don't yeah i'm, I'm gonna dunk on that a little bit can, can i interject with my jalen hurts story because no, it absolutely paints not. me as a it paints me as an absolute moron uh so <laughs> okay, like never mind then, yes <laughs> we can we can do it um so when i get when i i got the i got the job at pff and then like you know it was like april so it was like get like right into draft season right and so I'm, I'm, I'm messing around with the, with like PFF ultimate, which we can like watch the, watch the clip, but we can like filter it. Right. So it's like, you know, I don't have time to watch him throw, throw screen pass. So like I take Relax. out the screen pass. Relax. We <laughs> <get> it. <laughs> so ridiculous. So, so I, but I asked, so like I'm watching Jalen Hurts and I'm like, man, this guy's great. Like, what, what, like, this is amazing. And I remember telling like Renner and Gail, like, I'm like, yo Hurts. I didn't realize how good he was. Like, I know the offense is good, but like, Man, like Lincoln Riley's great, but like, oh god, this is amazing. I realized I was filtering out all the plays where he left the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so you just watching him first read down the field. Exactly. I'm like, yo, he's, he's everything's great. Like, oh my god, his he's, process uh, yeah. is sick. <laughs> amazing. And that's uh, honestly really so, funny. Yeah. And then uh, and then I'm I'm gonna I'm getting proved proven kind of kind of right right now anyway no nah, we can dunk we can dunk it's cool <laughs> it's the dunk you gotta, hour look you dunk at any time you can right whether it's the first week of training camp whether it's the third game in the preseason whether it's his eighth game in his rookie year or whether it's seven years down the road and he made one good play for the first time in seven years you absolutely bring up and dunk <laughs> whenever you can with your draft days so ben dunk please yep all right so let's see it's sad because i think the easiest way like to do it is to look at guys who you were lower on who are struggling which is not very fair um but i was low on kenneth murray i was low on yetter gross mottos both of those two guys i i was about a, a whole round yetter was even more than than the consensus and gross mottos has been okay but he's just super raw you know murray obviously uh, is impactful for what they need him to be but he's just he's a limited player uh, mm -hmm. i was big on jeremy chin which uh, i remember going mm -hmm. into the senior bowl being like can somebody explain to me what jeremy chin doesn't do that kyle duggar does and obviously they play 
different roles, but it was that sense of, listen, if you've got a, a, a huge athlete in the second, in your second level, you, you use him appropriately. It'll go well. And obviously chins had uh, defensive rookie of the year conversations. Yeah. I was way too suspicious of the Utah secondary. I was low on Julian Blackman and mm-hmm. I was low on, on Jalen Johnson. I think a lot of I people just, were. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I, w- I just didn't think that they were going to be as immediately translatable uh, as they have been. And Blackman's in a great spot. Indie safeties have, have great jobs. Um, but you know, that Pagano defense is tough for, for a corner and Jalen Johnson really played for that one. Well, uh, and then Brandon, Ayuk, I didn't, I didn't buy it. I was like, I was super low on Ayuk. I had, yeah. I had Donovan people's Jones ahead of, I think it was just like, I, I comped at Nelson Aguilar who like went in the first round, but I was just like, I I just need him to be more consistent. I need a better routes. He's super loose. And that's great. We're going to have to build this thing up. And then Kyle Shannon was like, I'm going to make him run five routes. He's going to have a thousand yards of 10 touchdowns (laughs) on screens. You can suck it. I was like, all right, fine. I accept. Can can I ask you guys about, again, I'm I'm adding more questions, but uh, can I ask you guys about like a guy like Henry Ruggs? He, he's, he, it's it's weird because it's like we we you know the PFF projections had him super high you know and he does come off the board super high, but then you look back and you're like okay but like it is super important to be able to throw deep and create explosive plays, but if the receiver can only do that and doesn't have anything else in his game yet, still early for Henry Ruggs, mm-hmm. like should we be drafting these guys? that high i mean it's a i think it's an interesting discussion talking about how receivers Mm -hmm. yeah so i I had rugs at wide receiver four Uh, i had him below judy oh look at you yeah i had him below (laughs) cd lamb and i had him below lavisca who i was really really high in lavisca and and, yeah i'm excited about what he continues to do in jacksonville with good quarterback play um but the thing with rugs and jalen rager who is my wide receiver five uh both with game breaking speed. And now he's your wide receiver one one, yeah (laughs) both with game breaking speed both with downfield ability how often did you have to get off press at the college level? Yeah. And when you get put in that outside receiver role and all of a sudden at six, one, two Oh five with 34 inch arms lining up against you week after week after week. And they don't buy this nonsense that you're oh, oh little five yard curl, double move. They've seen that 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it enables them to limit your Trump card before you even get on an open field. Right. And so with rugs uh, and like you said, like deep speed, it helps in ways that don't show up in the individual players box score always will. And and quantifying that is very tough, but with those players, it's, can you get them to figure out how to get downfield against all coverage shells and against all athletes when they were doing it, you know, Rager was doing it against 12 yards cushion. You know, that's easy (laughs) when it's like that. So that that's that conversation to me. I'm so confident in rugs. I think he has good ancillary traits beyond deep speed and deep tracking, but a lot of it is seeing different coverage shells and, and understanding how to get beyond them. Yeah, I had faith that Ruggs could become more. Uh, there was a point in the process to where I did have Henry Ruggs as my wide receiver one. I didn't end with him as my wide receiver one because the more I looked at it, the two guys that I have ahead of him, because he ended up three for me, Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb. I just felt like CeeDee Lamb was just straight up a better all-around wide receiver. I, I just felt like he was a better prospect than Henry Ruggs was, even with him being slower. And then Jerry Judy, I thought, had that true trump card kind of a dominant wide receiver with his feet and his route running and everything that he could do with his agility and so as well as deep speed and so like those were the two things that made me have those guys above henry ruggs of course you had the deep speed with him but to ben's point 
yeah, I definitely didn't take into account as much as I needed to playing with physicality off the line of scrimmage. And when you're drafting a guy super high, they have to be able to do that. And rugs, I do have faith that he could still be more because I always, I always felt like he was more than just a, Hey, go run a deep post, go run a nine. Like, I feel like he is more of a receiver than that. I, I feel like there were plenty of flashes that I saw at Alabama where he's making a tough catch through traffic. You know, he's taken on a lot of contact at the catch point. So those were roots that made me think that he could bear fruit in, in other ways than just deep speed, but he clearly is still working through that in the NFL. And so it's, it's something that's uh, been a rookie lesson for him, no doubt about it. But uh, that's, yeah, an important part of, of having a guy wide receiver one or drafting him at the spot of a wide receiver one in the first round is you've got to be able to get to the points where you really stand out as a prospect and for rugs to get deep, he had to be a little bit better at dealing with press and, and dealing with corners being a lot closer to him than they were at Alabama. Okay. One more question. Yeah. Uh, so that, that leads me to like Jamar chase and I don't want to talk about Jamar chase, obviously like, you know, cause you, you're talking about getting off press. We saw Jamar chase do it the whole year. Yeah. But my question is more going to be about all the opt outs this year. How, like, how do you not have this, like, this like recency bias all I'm an LSU fan. And I'm like, Oh, uh, Kyle Pitts and Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle are the three players I'm taking, you know, as pass catchers first overall. I'm like, I'm already forgetting mm-hmm. about now, you know, once we get into the off season, you go back and you say, okay, let me watch the tape from 2019 and whatever for, for all the guys that didn't opt out, you know, Micah Parsons, stuff like that, Panay Sewell, et cetera. Um, so like, how, how are you, you guys, you think you're going to deal with that recency bias um, going forward this off season? acknowledge accept it and roll with it like you got about twelve thousand different biases when you do any sort of like evaluation but especially in something as subjective as this it feels like good play in 2020 matters more than good play in 2019 and we understand even in like a non-opt-out year we understand development's not linear we understand that that players best seasons balance hither and thither but for some reason what happens nine months ago feels like it matters less than what happened two months ago and that's going to happen the entire draft process recency bias is a thing every year uh, and it's going to be exacerbated certainly by the opt-out system this year so i know like when i finally start putting final grades to guys which like it's the second week third week in december so this is usually when i start getting to it Jamar Chase can be the first guy I watch and it's because I know all of his film is done and I know he's going to be a top player. You got to grade him out numerically. You have to, you know, put his traits in some sort of quantifiable bucket. You got to stick a grade on him and then you got to move on and watch Jalen Waddle, put a grade, Devonta Smith, grade, Kyle Pitts, grade. And then what those numbers tell you, you got to accept as, as the best way you can capture their play without falling, you know, victim to some of these biases that are rampant in scouting. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a great way to encapsulate how you should do it. And I mean, like, that's how we're going to do it on, on this side of media. And, and we're going to try to do it like that as best we can, because that's a correct answer. However, yeah, this is on the, exactly. on, on the NFL side of things, the more behind the scenes stories you hear about a player going to this team and how this happened, you realize that there's a lot more impulse decisions than you really think this whole industry is built around area scouts living their whole life on the road, watching these guys and coming up with rankings and then bringing it all this massive pool only for on draft night for the GM to go, nah, screw it. We're drafting this guy. And it just because, (laughs) just because he wants to, and like, impulse decisions happen all the time in the NFL. And so Ben gave the correct answer on 
how you should go about it. And that's how I think a lot of scouting staffs are going to go about it. But you are going to see more quote unquote steals in the draft this year than any other year, because these players are going to drop simply because at the very top, you're going to see a lot of these GMs or head coaches, whoever's making the decision, make these impulse calls. And that's going to force some of these guys who have really good 2019 tape, who maybe just didn't play in 2020 happen to fall down the draft board. And so you're going to get a lot of potential steals in this draft. All right. I'm done. I'm done with you guys. Mm -hmm. Wow. You can see how my room has gotten darker because the sun's <laughs> been setting outside. Like, oh, pre-show, post-show. Muted. Um, can you guys plug yourselves? What do you guys do? Where can you people find you? Um, like home address is what I'm saying. Like, where can the people literally find yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> you just you you want us to dox ourselves here on we the end podcast. With a dox, so people as friends. <laughs> uh Ben and I can be heard five days a week over at the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. We cover as many teams in the NFL as we can, all kinds of situations in season. We're talking about what they could be doing for wins and losses. Then, of course, in draft season, we're evaluating draft needs and things like that, breaking down all kinds of prospects, who would fit where, uh, where we have them on our boards and everything like that. And then, of course, uh, on Twitter, at Tampa Bay Trey, at Benjamin Solak. We're usually there instead of, as Seth said, watching the actual NFL games as they <laughs> unfold. And then all of our wonderful work can be found over at thedraftnetwork.com. Did I do it, Ben? Did I nail it? Did I get it right? Yeah, that, that's that's all my spot. I left I left your address out of it, but I figured that you 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 if you know if you wanted to share that you could. <laughs> if that, that's a personal choice that you can make. Yeah, if you want to send uh, anthrax cookies to Ben for <laughs> Christmas, you can. That'd be two day shipping, man. That'd be impressive. I would accept. <laughs> wouldn't even be mad. <laughs> all right, adios. See you. What a sign off. All right, so that was my discussion with, um, as noted, my two best friends, uh, Trevor and Ben. The next time you will uh, hear this podcast will be next week where me and Tresh will be talking about our favorite plays of the year, our favorite games of the year, our favorite storylines of the year, all that stuff, you know, best and worst from, from the 2020 season of college football and then a little bit of, a, of another semifinal preview. And then it'll be the semifinals and the national championship game. So, um, you know, have a good Christmas, have a good holiday, have some good holidays. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye.